All right, this is Darker Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Crystal. How's it going, Crystal? It's going really well. Awesome, good. And also joining us is Chig. What's up, Chig? Oh, not a lot, Mike. How, how about you? I'm doing great, really psyched. Uh, we're going to get some snow today, and hopefully it does not make a mess of the roads. But um, really excited to uh, have a non-snow-themed episode today, because we're going to be talking about Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition, giving some of our first impressions about it, and um, really just giving a, a good vibe, because there is a Kickstarter going on right now for it. Before we get to that, let's start off every episode, as we usually do, with a game update and some news. So... I'll give the game update because I haven't given one in a while. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of role playing lately. Uh, the two big things um, have been, uh, geez, back uh, a couple months back, I was running uh, a playtest of the Aramain contract, which is the third adventure that Chris wrote for Vampire Masquerade 5th edition set in his Manchester setting. And uh, it was really exciting, really interesting. And the players loved the setup. Uh, it gives you a lot of power walking into a very socially oriented vampire one-shot adventure where you have the MacGuffin and everyone else wants it and uh, I thought that was a great setup players really enjoyed it uh, you know negotiating figuring things out and then having a, a major twist at the end of course and in addition to that I ran a spooky Dungeons and Dragons game back in October uh, which is really rad using the uh, Mask of the Red Death campaign setting a very old one originally from second edition uh, but we were using the D&D 5th edition rules. And uh, people really liked it. Uh, they got kind of creeped out at the end. Some disturbing things happened. And uh, there's a lot of adventuring and investigation through the streets of Otranto, Italy. Did you uh, translate those awesome character classes like athlete, dilettante? Yep, I did. I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. What were the character classes we had? I, I did have to make custom classes for the game. Uh, we had a we had an occultist, so he was the one. That was the one character that had any kind of magical anything. Uh, there was an explorer, a soldier. Um, there was a sleuth, who was kind of like the investigator and socialite character. And then there was one more. Oh, of course, the inventor, which was a lot of fun. They could do uh, improvised chemistry to make things, make chemicals on the fly, which was pretty fun. Nice. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it worked out really well. I'm pretty psyched about that. Uh, people were asking me if I'm gonna like publish it or anything. Maybe put it up on the uh, DM's Guild uh, website, and uh, maybe I'll do that. I'd have to change the setting probably and the characters a little bit, but uh, I think the structure was pretty good and pretty fun. With that, let's move on over to the news. <laughs> All right, so as mentioned on uh, the last couple episodes, uh, well, right now, Dragon Meat is going on. Chris is actually coming back from Dragon Meat at the moment, and there's a lot of good stuff going on over there, running some Vampire, running some Infinity, uh, Wrath and Glory, the 40k RPG, a lot of good gaming going on, and uh, it seems like Chris is going to have some uh, awesome content recorded from that. As I mentioned previously, I'm going to be at PAX Unplugged, running some games of Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition uh, with... Uh, Gehenna Gaming, and uh, I believe Crystal is also going to be there. So Crystal, what are your plans for PAX Unplugged? So I'm going to be working the Onyx Path booth, and I will be running demos both in the booth and in the open gaming hall um, at the Onyx Path table. Awesome, awesome. Any uh, any idea of what games are going to be running? So the two ones that I'm going to be running in the, the, the hall will be um, Monarchies of Mouth and um, uh, Chicago by Night. 
And then in the demo hall, um, I can pretty much run almost anything that Onyx Path has published. So if you have a game that you're wanting to run and you just want to run through a quick scenario, I can totally do that for you guys. Oh, that's awesome. So up in the demo hall could be pretty much anything. Some Trinity, yep. maybe, maybe Pugmire. Yeah, it's really exciting. Yes, I am. I am looking forward to it. I love PAX last year and this year is looking to be just as awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty psyched for it. When is PAX exactly? In case people want to come and meet you guys. Yeah, it is December 6th <laughs> through December 8th, uh, coming up very soon after this episode is released. And that is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'll be hanging around in the RPG department and also at to get head in gaming quite a bit. And uh, sounds like Crystal is going to be bounced around a little bit, but you can definitely find her up at the uh, Onyx Path booth. Oh, yeah, they can track me down. <laughs> Yep. And the other exciting thing going on is, of course, the Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition Kickstarter, which is actually going to be ending on December 5th. So there's only a couple more days left uh, in the Kickstarter campaign after this episode drops. But of course, you can if you miss that date, uh, you can still back it through the Backer Kit campaign, which will probably be going on for another about six months after this episode drops. So I assume, don't quote me on this, but it'll probably be up until maybe like June 2020. Um, as they uh, work through it, uh, you know, polish up the uh, the rough draft of the rules and setting that we've already seen and get it ready for the printer. But you want to get in on the Kickstarter so you can get all those uh, unlock stretch goals. That's yep. right. If you back it in the Kickstarter, you help us get all the stretch goals. Uh, and there's already been quite a few. There's been a lot of uh, nice supplements and additions, other expanded material. Uh, it's definitely pretty rad. We've almost got them all. Almost. Almost. But usually they come up with more as we go, right? So if, if there's a big push in the last two days, you know, usually we get a couple more uh, uh, cool stretch goals in there, you know? And sometimes it's something really nice, like a little bit of extra money for the writers, which is always uh, definitely appreciated. They deserve it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, with that, I think that's it for the news at the moment. So let's just dive into our mummy commentary, discussing the first edition a little bit, reviewing it, and then diving into our first impressions of... Mummy the Curse, 2nd Edition. Alright, so I'll kind of kick things off here a little bit. Um, what's Mummy the Curse about? You know, the first edition uh, that came out was a game where you play as mummies. Surprise, surprise. Um, but they were really these kind of middle managers of this long dead empire known as Irem. Uh, and they were given eternal life to continue to serve their deific masters who had ascended to another plane, another afterlife, and become pretty much all-powerful. At least that's my take on it. Chig, do you have anything else, uh, any other insight into it? Yeah, so Mummy the Curse was and continues to be a game uh, about playing Rashomon, the, or Rashomon, I always mispronounce that, uh, where you remember something happening but maybe not everybody else remembers it quite that way they might not remember it having happened at all uh and you live forever with uh with that going on in your head uh so the game is kind of about asking who are we and finding out the answer to that through play yeah certainly there's there's really a deeper theme to it uh about memory. That's really the central element to it. Um, because one of the things that uh, Mummy the First, uh, Mummy the Curse First Edition does very well is um, 
sets you up as these really powerful characters. When the mummies awaken, uh, they have like basically their maximum power. They have you know the ten dots in Sekem, you know the uh, the power stat of the uh, mummies. And they have all these different abilities that they can use. A lot of really cool pillars and powers. Uh, the utterances, and unfortunately. While they have all this great power, they don't have their memories. They don't remember much of what happened. And that's where it becomes really interesting as you explore play, as you get your memories back, you actually eventually start to lose your power as well. And that's really sets up like a, the kind of interesting dynamics uh, and the uniqueness of this setting. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, going back to a lot of the things that Mummy, uh, the Cursed First Edition, did really well, you know, while it's a little tough to use sometimes, the civilization, the long-dead empire of Irem, has a lot of world-building put into it, uh, thinking about how these different guilds of the mummies uh, worked in this, this empire, why they had status, why they had power, and why they were able to serve these priest-sorcerer kings that eventually uh, you know, moved on to uh, their more deific uh, power level. They go into a lot of detail, you know, the character um, guilds that you can play as off the bat are things like alchemists, necromancers, um, diplomats and the like. Uh, but there's also these other minor guilds, which are really interesting, like the, uh, the more gambler types, the deceived, uh, who uh, attempted to become the risen mummies like everyone else, but were betrayed at the last minute and other things like that. It's all really cool. Uh, there's also some great crossover potential with uh, with Mage the Awakening. There's a lot of hints that uh, Atlantis and Irem may have been contemporary rivals, uh, which gives Mage players another kind of cool, mysterious civilization to try to explore. And uh, some other great stuff like that. So, Mummy the Curse, first edition. It's a good game. Uh, it was very well received when it first came out. And uh, it was also the first new Chronicles of Darkness setting that was produced by Onyx Path. Uh, back in 2012, 2013. So that was really exciting, really cool stuff. But, you know, there were some issues with it. Uh, when you look back at Mummy the Curse first edition, there, there's definitely some room for improvement, which is why it's good that we're getting the second edition. Um, going back and listening to our old episodes, because we actually discussed Mummy the Curse quite a bit back in the day. Um, not so much lately, but previously there were several episodes on it. I think kind of distilling down, the issues about it were that there was a lot of Egyptian vocabulary and like faux Egyptian vocabulary, this kind of Iramite made up words uh, throughout the book, which made it a little challenging to keep track of all the different uh, you know, guilds, all the different aspects of uh, the different powers of the, uh, the Arisen and stuff like that. In addition to that, there's a lot of, unfortunately, the adventure hooks for the game were pretty weak. You know, Chris, myself, and Che were always scratching our head back in the day about how you're really supposed to play this game. What do the mummies really do, you know, on a nightly basis? And the, the adventure hooks that they have were these uh, MacGuffins of Sekhem, these different, like, artifacts and uh, talismans that you have to chase after, which kind of gave them something to do, but there wasn't uh, too much strength to that. You know, you couldn't just be adventuring to grab the Sekhem every single uh, game session. Cult management was a little... Uh, vague in first edition. There wasn't a lot of support for it, but it was still a pretty critical part. And in addition to that, you know, they just had the uh, the chasing memories aspect, but you know, there was still a lot of um, a lot of paperwork that had to go into place uh, to have the players and storytellers write a lot of that stuff ahead of time. Um, 
which was just a, a bit of a barrier to entry in some ways. Yeah, like like you said, the uh, the faux Egyptian vocabulary was uh, kind of a barrier uh, for for me at least. You know, keeping track of all the terminology, and uh, I'm really hopeful that they've they've cut that down at least a bit in the uh, second edition, or at least made it uh, you know more optional. Mm. Yeah, we'll see in a second. Actually, there was another uh, really important uh, good thing that Mummy the Curse first edition did, and that was give us a lot of different play types. You could play the game as a mummy, or uh, sorry, each player is a mummy. So you have your own cults, and you're all working together because maybe you work for the same judge of Duat uh, and stuff like that. Or there's a play mode where you're all cultists serving one specific mummy. Or maybe serving a couple of different mummies and you're somehow interlinked uh, in that service. Or you could actually play where uh, one player uh, is the mummy or the role of the mummy kind of rotates around the table for different sessions and the rest of the players are cultists. And that's just a cool way to give a different game structure um, and a lot of different chronicle options uh, for the game, which is pretty rad. Yeah, for that Doctor Who play style. Yeah, precisely. So if that's that, let's talk about second edition a little bit, because uh, I think it's a really exciting Kickstarter and I don't want to spoil too much, but I think it's an improvement. I think uh, second edition is uh, a better game and first edition was still great. And it's really exciting to see some of the cool changes and improvements that have been made. So what's new in Mummy the Curse second edition? I think the most exciting thing that really uh, we've already kind of talked about in the past a little bit is the fact that there is a chronological time so mummies are kind of quantum leaping throughout history they might awaken uh let's say in the 1980s but they actually remember the 21st century uh and they have memories of their time during during the great recession and stuff like that and they could take advantage of that future knowledge as they awaken in the 1980s and make certain uh investments into like technology or something like that or they remember what happens to their rivals in the future and they can make adjustments in that way. Or they might awaken, uh, let's say, in the 1940s, but they still remember something in the very, very far past. They remember uh, the printing press being in invented uh, in Germany, for example. So their memories of their previous descents could be both in the past or the future, and different things could be unlocked through play, uh, which is just really rad. Yeah, I like that it creates a nebulous pathway for telling the story um, at different points of history. Um, and you can also jump around if you're very clever as a storyteller, you can jump to different points along the timeline that you're playing in and let them play not in chronological order. Um, kind of similar to um, Arrival is what I was thinking. Um, that's one of my favorite movies for aliens. Because um, it presents that, them in a very, very different way. And all of the stuff that you're seeing on screen is not chronological order. And you don't figure that out until the end. Oh, dang. Spoilers for Arrival. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like that it allows for, uh, for varying levels of knowledge within a group. So if I'm playing the mummy who knows that in the future, uh, Mike's mummy is going to have his tomb raided then i can uh i can either warn him or i can you know set up my cult to uh go raid it in advance so that when it does get robbed it's my guys and i have all of his neat toys and therefore you know the rivals don't get it 
Yes. For instance. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good one. Yeah. And that's actually, <laughs> oh man, that's just a good thing to think about because when you know what happens in the future, that is a that is now a defined element in the story that will happen. Uh because I don't think, yeah, I don't wow. I don't I don't actually know if the rules cover this, but uh I don't think there's really an option to change the future descent, is there? I so think that's I something set in stone. Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> because mummies have <laughs> such uh, Swiss cheese memories true, to, true. Uh, yep. to, 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 to call back from that quantum leap uh, analogy, um, they can remember, like my mummy remembers that your mummy's tomb was robbed. But I might not remember exactly who did it. And so if I say, well, I'm going to go there and I'm going to send my guys to protect your tomb so that it doesn't get robbed because, darn it, we need those uh, those artifacts, then by doing that, a clever storyteller can say, okay, well, your guys show up, but you didn't provide sufficient warning to Mike's cultists, so there's a, there's a melee that ensues and your guys return and, hey, they have all those artifacts that went missing. Ooh, that's really good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so awesome. so it's 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 unintended consequences of uh, of the Swiss cheese memory. It's basically you know what happens, and because of that, it happens. Right, but you might not know. You don't know the details, and you may not know exactly why, when, or how. Yep. So, I mean, it's gonna you're gonna have to put you know get your uh, get your whiteboard out and <laughs> your your strings and you know you know make your little murder board over there because otherwise you're going to forget <laughs> if you're like me anyway you the player are going to forget things that you the the character should not <laughs> yeah that's awesome the other great thing about uh, this new a chronological time is that mummy is now the game that's best equipped to explore all those different dark eras uh, settings that have been put out in those two books so you can bounce around between say um what was one elizabethan england is one there's revolutionary france there's going way back to uh like an arabian night setting and dark eras too and you could have just this group of mummy characters bounce around and be able to explore all these different time periods and different you know kind of occult and supernatural settings which is just like a a cool added bonus to uh mummy the curse second edition yeah there's a whole bunch of um really awesome settings that would work too for in the um uh darker as uh fiction anthology yeah certainly moving on to some other really awesome things in mummy the curse second edition uh it has way better cult rules uh, they're pretty similar to the ones that we saw in Geist of the Seniors Second Edition. So uh, basically, you make like a uh, kind of a cult character sheet, build up different characters, uh, and you know, assign merits and flaws. So it's much simpler than previously, where you either had to basically write down a couple sentences explaining your cult characters, uh, or you had to make like essentially full character sheets for them. So it's kind of a nice middle ground. Yeah, I like how it stretches to the different aspects of life and it doesn't just focus on worshiping in a religious sort of way. Um, there are different ways to worship in life. And um, I, it, the, um, the, the different um, highlights that we've seen from that have sort of focused on those as well. I like the idea is that, uh, yeah, cults can take different forms. They can be like a corporation of sorts, like a kind of like a zaibatsu almost thing uh mega corporations can now fit in really well into a futuristic uh mummy the curse uh descents and, and that sort of thing it's definitely really cool actually wow i didn't even think about this but now mummy the curse can very very easily use the um 
Bleeding Edge and uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the, the science fiction Chronicles of Darkness setting. I can't remember the name of it. Infinite Macabre. That's the name. Um, use those oh. rules. I know they're for first edition, but it'd be easy to adapt. Uh, and if you just want to bounce up to those kinds of settings for a session or something and deal with how your cults exist in those kind of more futuristic environs, uh, you can definitely do that, which is also really rad. Um, you can see how cults evolve then, too, which is really kind of neat to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could you could start as, you know, an enterprise that's just, you know, some merchants trading in the uh, in the Mediterranean and, you know, you wake up. A thousand years later and you know you're the big giant uh, megacorp yeah it's awesome stuff that's fun <laughs> <laughs> and uh crystal how'd you feel about the different guilds and all of that how they've been uh, kind of reworked in second edition i i really like how they are a lot more balanced um and they've included the smaller guilds and fallen guilds as well um i as as a storyteller i love exploring like the the lesser known aspects of a setting um and those smaller guilds are definitely something that i focused in on when i was reading yeah definitely i really like that uh so they, they appear in the book and the uh the, the draft text that we have immediately after the main guilds and it really helps reinforce that irem was like a living breathing society and you know it makes sense that they have these different organizations different guilds that that existed and it's kind of cool to see how like they transition some of them into the uh, the deathless states. I really liked the uh, the gamblers guild. I thought they were really interesting because they basically they can't make their own artifacts and secum infused uh, items, so they have to basically you know beg, borrow, cheat, and steal to uh, get theirs, which I thought was a, a really kind of cool um, roguish vibe to them. But yeah, uh, Mummy the Curse Second Edition actually has the same main five guilds. They haven't really changed that much, but they're generally broader as uh, Crystal brought up. So, for example, the uh, first edition Messen Nebu were alchemists, while in second edition they're alchemists, businessmen, and revolutionaries. You know, it's a bit more, uh, a bit, bit of an expansion of them uh, to try to like just give you more options and more ideas as a player, which I think is is pretty rad. And also, of course, shows you how they evolve with time. They were maybe alchemists then, but as their descents continue, as they regain memories and change over time and adjust, uh, their paths could change. So that's a pretty cool thing about mummies, too. Yeah, I like how um, you could, you know, you can see in the descriptions how it would fit with alchemists, businessmen, and revolutionaries written right in there. Um, and it's not that far off of a stretch to be like, okay, yeah, those all fit very well together, even though they don't initially look like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. they did a great job of uh, incorporating multiple aspects per uh, per guild. Yeah, it's definitely good. And on the other hand, guilds are pretty similar, but actually the decrees, I feel, changed quite a bit. Um, previously, they were kind of the X-axis splat for the mummies, that kind of like you know, internalized sense of self, as opposed to the guild being this this organization that you joined. And back then, the decrees always mapped to a part of the Egyptian soul. But now the decrees focus uh, not just on the mummies themselves, but also on their cults, uh, kind of being codified uh, governing values and principles for how both the mummy and the cults uh, really conduct themselves. Uh, I think that's a, that's kind of a neat change as well. Because 
it gives cults a more unique feeling. It gets you as a player, as you're creating a character, to think more about how your mummy is going to interact with the cult and what the cult's actual aims are. And those could actually be maybe a bit divergent from the mummy themselves, uh, which could you know be cool and add a little extra tension to the game. I mean, they, they do still uh, kind of map to one of the five uh, parts of the soul, but... Not in the same way that they used to in first edition. Uh, in first edition, it was just basically your mummy uh, linking to this one part of the soul, and that was pretty much it. And basically what that part of the soul represented. Hmm. Now, it's there's a lot more information, if you read through, about how the cult is for each decree, and that's where I think like the big change is. Because it gives you just a lot of ideas for how uh, some of them, and again, I don't remember the uh, <laughs> the the faux Egyptian names uh, at the moment, but how how they they map to um, uh, maybe like their ambitions or their their more static nature and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I, I guess I can see that. So on on the one hand, I guess it makes makes sense if a mummy is going to have a cult. Uh, then it's likely that they've set up that cult to, uh, you know, pursue their goals and their purposes and their aims in the uh, eternal life. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, it kind of locks the mummies into unchanging roles forever, which, I mean, that might be the point, but I I personally prefer a game where you can learn from your mistakes and change as time goes on, so... I mean, maybe there's maybe there's rules for that for for guiding your cult from you know becoming I don't know uh, the crummy little traitors to uh, slavers to oh wait nope that's wrong we're gonna we're gonna be uh, a corporation that does you know iron ore instead or whatever uh, but uh, I, I guess we'll have to wait until the uh, till the book is actually out I think. I think you're onto something, Chig. You know, this is the decree is something that's kind of you know marked uh, with their soul because it's they have to declare it to one of the judges of Duat uh, before they can resurrect, right? Before the rite of return can be completed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really something that that is unchanging in them, and because of their their limited memories and their their short returns to life and that sort of thing. They, it really is difficult for them to change. That is a real challenge, especially when they have these judges of Duat influencing them so much, uh, giving them commands, directives, and orders, which, if they try to move against, can, it can be really negatively affected. The, uh, the judges can just start draining their sekem away uh, for being uncooperative, uh, returning them, of course, to a lifeless state afterwards. So, yeah, it's challenging. And... You know, being able to change with all those pressures and that oppression really uh, is is really tough. And that's something that you can explore in your game. Hmm. Yeah. Gives you a lot to work with. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really curious to see where they present with that because um, I too like a game where you can kind of learn and progress. And I know mummies are static. <laughs> like they don't really change too much. Um, but I'm curious to see what would happen if a mummy continually fights against what they were previously. It would be tough. It'd be really tough. And I think that is actually, you know, now I'm thinking about this, Crystal, that's a really (laughs) great point. How would they fight against it? You know, when they have these judges messing with them so much, I think it would really fall towards the cult 
to pick up a lot of the slack. You know, if they were able to get enough Sekum and constantly reawaken the mummy um, and be able to reinform it of its memories as much as it could, if the mummy really understood what was going on and was able to convey that to uh, the cultists themselves, that might be their best bet. Um, you know, having a really selfless cult uh, that wants to help their master, not just worship it or use it for their own, you know, temporal gains, uh, would probably be the uh, the greatest lifeline for for one of these arisen. And that could be a cool character concept right there. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay, stop me if this is too cheesy. But, there was uh, when you say playing against yourself, that made me think. Okay, so I'm a mummy. I don't remember really truly what has happened before except for maybe one or two times that i've i've awakened so what if the big bad of your of your uh your whole chronicle is you you're you're going against this this other mummy's cult and it turns out that they're just you know horrible awful people and as you continue to fight against them and as you continue to to send your cult and your agents against their cult and their agents and work against their things, it turns out that this is something that you set up in a previous descent. Mm. Is that a thing that you think that is that a thing that could amazing. happen in this game? <laughs> Dude, totally. Could you be your own big bad? I I think so, yeah. Oh man, so the next I totally oh, think geez, so, yeah. Yeah, I got to get a murder board for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, so, so speaking of uh, uh, cults and and various uh, play styles, uh, Crystal, I think that you mentioned um, <laughs> something something about that. I yeah, I um, I like games where you can have different mixes of character types going on. And with this, it seems like you don't have to have like one mummy and all cultists or all cultists or all mummies. You can have a mix and balance because um, it does seem like mummies do have the capacity to work together for things. Um, and you can have cultists from different cults trying to work together or even being antagonistic at the table. That works, too, depending on your play style. Yeah, definitely. And they actually, uh, there was like one of those little ninja updates that they've been throwing into some of these second edition books uh, for the Immortals. If anyone remembers that kind of blue book uh, supplement from World of Darkness first edition, Chronicles of Darkness first edition, with different like immortal cults and that sort of thing. They finally gave an update for that uh, in here, which is really cool. So like the, uh, I know the Bloodbathers uh, make uh, an appearance. They uh, announced, announced that on the Kickstarter page, which is really cool. And they work great with, uh, with the mummies, don't they? Nice. I mean, it's always nice to have continuity um, of memory or, or continuity yeah. of purpose in your cult. So, yeah, if you can get a, an immortal in your cult who's, you know, every time you wake up, hey, there's John. He can tell me what, he can fill me in on what I missed. <laughs> right. Right. Or what mm -hmm. I'm missing. You know, <laughs> I could also see the immortals being um, antagonists, too, um, and not just... Um, you know, helping, but trying to figure out what is going on with the mummies and how best to play it to their advantage. Yeah, or trying to get their own kind of like right of return. Because while they do get to live forever, they don't have the same sweet power level of a mummy that just awakens. So I'm sure a lot of them are probably pretty jealous of that. Sure. Anybody who, uh, anybody who oh, power is grab. functionally immortal would like more power. That's, 
That's the name of the game. Mm -hmm. So, and I really like um, the pillars um, that are added with this uh, that are in the, the, um, what they've released. Um, I do think they add a lot more depth to the characters as well. Yeah. I think they're pretty similar to uh, first edition because in first edition, as well as this one, uh, they all deal with a different aspect of the Egyptian soul. Uh, that's what's used for their utterances. Um, but yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. See, and like with um, Chig's point um, previously, I always curious as if you can change your pillar with each new awakening. Yeah, I mean, it would be a real expensive, whether through XP or through roleplay, um, way to do things. But they... The, uh, the preview seems to hint at no, what with it being uh, it was inscribed on your mummy's soul at the point of their first descent. So that does kind of sound like they're locked into a more static existence than than might be uh, doable. Yeah, the, that could also lead to different interpretations of each pillar, though, too. So like changing it may not necessarily be necessary for it to evolve within those parameters. Hmm. Okay, so it's it's not that your pillar changes, it's that your understanding of what that pillar is means and does changes throughout incarnations. That I can see. Yeah, I'd be I'm totally down for that interpretation too. <laughs> nice. Cool. All right, good stuff. So, let's talk about uh we mentioned some of the the kind of weaknesses of first edition uh, earlier in the episode. So let's move on over to talking about how second edition tackles some of those issues. Um, so first thing we brought up was like the Egyptian or the faux Egyptian words being everywhere. And this is still kind of an issue from what I've seen. It's kind of a legacy issue, right? Um, because there was the first edition, they want to carry over a lot of the same feel uh, that that had. And because of that, a lot of the vocabulary also carried over from first edition into second. But the good thing I noticed is that a lot of the new vocabulary tends to be very straightforward, right? So for example, in the touchstone section, you'll recognize touchstones from uh, Vampire the Requiem, second edition. The new touchstones for mummies are things like witnesses, inheritors, and sadiqs. So, I mean, you can understand two out of three of those words right off the bat. Um, so that's that's a that's an improvement right there. But again, there's a few new words brought in. Uh, Sadiq, by the way, is an immortal servitor of the mummies. I actually wasn't able to figure out if that was in first edition or, or not, but uh, it's definitely in second edition now, and are uh, the pretty common um, uh, touchstone for them. So, in addition to a lot of the words that existed, like different guilds still have their old Iramite words. Um, the different uh, portions of the Egyptian soul still have their Egyptian names in it. Um, there's a lot more straightforward words, I feel, uh, which make playing Mummy the Curse a little bit easier, I think, for uh, for a new player. And not all of the uh, words, but a good majority of them will have regular common translations provided. You know, you'll you'll have the the mummies, part of the soul, the ba, the ka, the this, the that, the other. Um, but it'll tell you, you know, this means shadow and this means that and this means whatever. So it's, you can you can refer to it either, you know, with your uh, your Egyptian terminology or your, your standard English terminology. Whatever works best for you. Yeah, I don't want to be closed-minded, but I almost feel like it would be kind of nice to just have like the English translation character sheet 
that might just be easier for new players or it has to have like the uh, have both both shadow and uh ba i believe that's the the link um we'll go with that on the sheet so yeah i mean i should probably check that but um having both on the sheet at the same time would just make it a little bit easier for new players and help you kind of like just get acclimated to both of the words um while not slowing down gameplay as you have to look through the book just to figure out what that word actually meant or if it doesn't have any game effect on your particular character just ignore it and move on <laughs> yeah that's also an option <laughs> use what works best for your table so moving on from that um what about all of the MacGuffins? what about those second relics I don't know. What do you two think about uh, how those turned out in second edition? I mean, it's definitely still there. Uh, it really doesn't seem like it's the focus or meant to be the focus of, you know, more than occasional play session or two. Honestly, aside from it's fun sometimes to play an Indiana Jones, go out and get the artifact adventure kind of thing. I don't under I don't really get why they're still there. I think it's just because it's an easy plot hook. You know, it's in a lot of um, Egyptian or uh, in mummy stories, you know, an item is taken from the tomb and the uh, the mummy pharaoh wakes up to uh, try to reclaim it. That's a pretty common trope. And I think that's why they uh, still haven't included. And it's just a very easy starter story for for mummy the curse. You know, if you just want to play like a session or two, roll up some characters, they have to go get a uh, a relic back that's been stolen. And oh, they find out that it was taken by the DNA Corporation, for example, that evil multinational that's for some reason investigating into these second relics. And boom, right there. That's kind of like a, a pretty easy go-to. Yeah. There's also a whole guild that's imbued into artifacts. So, I mean, they have a, they have a whole guild focused on that. Oh, that's right. There's also the, uh, there's that one like soldier um guild yep yeah that was really cool i was not familiar with those from first edition uh they might be in first edition but in here i can't remember their name unfortunately but they're basically they would put their souls into like a relic or a statue or something and then the soulless body would go out to fight and it was pretty much immortal uh, until its second rent ran yep. out that was a really cool and an awesome idea yep. okay so there are some edge cases as to why you would want to be an immortal hoarder i get it okay I just, as long as it's not the uh, the main <laughs> thrust of a long term chronicle, I, I guess it's okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, well, hoarding up the uh, second relics. So I think if you kind of look at look at it from a metagame perspective, there's a lot of options. There's more options for how to use Sekum. It used to just be okay. Sekum was good for me as a mummy, good for my cult to kind of hold on to, because it could keep me alive longer, for example. But now there's other ways to barter with it power up these old you know semi-immortal uh warriors for example if you need to use them and other things so i think as just like a metagame power stat a juice to use a fuel um there's a lot more options to use and i think that actually does kind of enhance the whole reason for having these second MacGuffins kind of floating around in your setting I, I can also see them probably creating a balance of you can only have so much Sekum from artifacts before you just can't get any more. So you can't turn into an immortal hoarder, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, but I think that's how Chig wants to play. Here, that's a hundred. Right? I, I want to be the immortal hoarder who has 
you know, dozens of mummified cats in my uh, in my one bedroom apartment on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a fun character. That's that's a good angle. <laughs> oh, and of course, um, does it bring you joy? Yeah. <laughs> And of course, um, we've got the uh, the new kind of cult system that they've come up with. It's it's a lot easier than it was before. Very streamlined, straightforward. It's kind of just like having an extra character sheet, either for yourself or for the group. So, um, I mean, what do you, what does everyone else feel? How do you all feel about um, the new cult mechanics in uh, Mummy the Curse Second Edition? I like them. I really liked the how to recruit cult members from the down and out advice that they give in the in the book. Uh, there's some great real world applications there. If you're a horrible, manipulative person, you know, go find someone who's just lost their job or just uh, gone out of a relationship and they're heartbroken or they're just down on their luck. And, you know, lure them in with, you know, promises of uh, a better life. It's It's great advice. Again, if you're a, a horrible, horrible person. Um, uh, but the part where it suggests that a cult may summon a mummy, um, I personally found hilarious. Uh, as though there's just, you know, a random group of friends out there who decide to make up a cult one day and they learn a mummy's true name and they say, hey, let's call up this immensely powerful uh, creature from beyond time and uh, let's see if she can make us a few bucks. Uh, I like that because it, it sounds like a real world kind of motivation for a cult. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I did find that hilarious where they're like, you can summon a mummy to be the head of your corporation. And I was like, that is a really bad idea. <laughs> yep. That's how you get Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the actual like rules and mechanics themselves, it's, it's a lot like, um, um, uh, a lot like Geist, the senior second edition. Uh, it's very similar to that. So we already know they work. And yeah, they're, they're pretty good. So it's definitely uh, it's a nice improvement, I think. A uh, nice little addition here to this new rule book. Let's talk about memories a little bit. So I really like the A chronological uh, memory idea. Um, I'm just trying to figure out if... And we don't have like the complete full script yet, uh, complete text yet. Um, that'll be a little while before we get it. Uh, I'm just really curious how the rules are going to reinforce that. You know, right now, it's actually very easy to uh, make your mummy character. Starting mummies only have a memory of three. Um, and according to the table in the book, that means that uh, they just have a rough memory of one single previous descent. So it's very easy when you're making up a character, you just think like, okay, I'll just think of one time period that they're also around in and just write like a sentence or two, just kind of explain what was going on there. And boom, you've got something to work with. But what about all those other descents? Because these mummies have been ping-ponging around time in the future, in the past. Maybe they've already been to the present before. That could be wild. Um, is it? Does it fall upon the player to start writing that out? Does it fall upon the storyteller? Or is this something that you're just supposed to kind of come up with and play? As you get more memory points, boom, right there, just make a new memory, just kind of unscripted off the bat uh, without any kind of like, you know, complex overarching uh, tapestry for the game. I don't know. What do you all think? It really seems to me like something that you should learn during play. Yep, I agree. Um, I think that's something that the ST, the storyteller, should create and just kind of drop 
just to see what happens with the players. Oh, I was I was going the mm. complete opposite oh, really? direction with that. Oh, yeah, I think that the storytellers should sit back, let the players each write their own characters through play. You know, don't oh, don't come sit way. down at the table with a with a forty thousand word novel about you know your your previous eight incarnations, and we're gonna we're gonna uncover them as as, as you have written down throughout the game session come and, and and sit down at the at the table and just you know when it strikes you oh oh yeah my my character just now remembered that definitely he was uh around during the 20s and yeah he was a he was a rum runner <laughs> and uh he knew this guy then gotcha i i'm okay with either as a player i love not knowing what my characters did in past lives <laughs> and i love like what type of person was I? I was horrible. Oh God. Um, but that's me. And that might not be for everybody. So. Yeah. I think that, uh, Crystal, what you're describing, it probably takes a lot of trust with your storyteller, right? Oh gosh. Yes. Um, I've, I've only had it work with me with people that I know and trust as storytellers. Um, it does not work super well with people. I don't know, <laughs> like at conventions or anything like that. Fair enough, fair enough. So I'm actually, I think I'm in kind of a different camp from the two of you. Chig's on the uh, the player-driven camp. Chris is on the storyteller-driven. I actually almost think it would be cool to have a random memory generator, right? Just like a table or two that you roll on to get these random memories and then see how you can kind of piece those together and place them uh, to kind of create like the tapestry of your character's past. You know, as you unlock new memories, roll on it, and then kind of go from there, working with your storyteller to uh, figure out how it all fits in. Oh, that could lead to a lot of interesting plots and foreshadows. Yep. And a lot of we didn't expect that to happen, <laughs> which could be cool, too. Yes. Yeah, you're going to want to take notes, write down everything that anybody ever says. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> could be cool. Just game transcription services. Just send send in everything. Oh, yeah. Record everything. <laughs> cool. And uh, I don't know. Any other points? Uh Crystal, you were curious about the judges, right? You had some ideas about them? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, lots and lots of ideas about the judges. Um, since there's only a couple that are named, um, I'm always curious as to what about the unnamed ones? Like, um, God Machine is always one of my favorite things to throw into Chronicles of Darkness stories and plots and stuff. And I'm like, which judge is the God Machine? You know, <laughs> like... <laughs> um, yeah, so, and having fun with, you know, what the unnamed judges are and how they look at characters and their actions. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the book mentions that the, the, there's 42 judges. They name seven of them, and the other 35 are, they say, like, very, very narrow in their scope or don't usually uh, really resonate with many of the Risen. So you, you have to kind of wonder, like, what's hidden in there? Like, maybe one of them actually really does uh, have a more sinister purpose. Perhaps it is the God Machine. Um, or maybe it's something else, right, Chig? So if the God Machine is another judge, or is an aspect of a judge, or vice versa, does that make the angels and demons of the God Machine just their cheap mummy knockoffs? <laughs> 
It could, could. Maybe. Okay, okay, okay. Actually, hold on now. Hold on. Hmm. I want to. I want to. I want to continue yeah, yeah. down this thought. So there's 42 what this game refers to as judges, and that's the lens through which they view reality. Could all of the progenitor spirits of all the other game lines be judges by another name? That's very possible, especially considering mm-hmm. the other judges have narrow views, right. quote unquote. Narrow I'm views doing air and... quotes, you just can't see them. Oh, I can see them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, you can totally be like, nope, this is actually one of the judges of the mummies. They just don't really look their direction unless absolutely necessary. They don't make a lot of mummies because they have, you know, this entire tribe of werewolves over here serving them. Yes. Yeah, that could be it. That could be very interesting. I'm also getting another idea for a uh, a kind of a setting, a three-way power struggle in the Chronicles of Darkness setting where uh, you have Irem and you know, the mummies, Judges Duat and all of that. You also have Atlantis and the Awakened Mages of the modern setting. And then the third wheel, basically, is the God Machine itself. And those are like the three main driving... Um, not really forces, because they're so disorganized. Atlantis doesn't exist anymore for the mages. Irem fell ages ago. Of course, the god machine is still toiling away in the shadows of the world. Um, but that could be a really cool way to just kind of balance these three different aspects of the overarching setting and just, like, create some really bizarre games and some bizarre, like, like terrible secrets of space to explore. I think that'd be really rad. That would be amazing, and you need to do this. <laughs> Maybe well, I'll see what I can do. So you, I'm getting a lot of ideas from you, Mummy. This say uh, that, as we talk about one of those awesome. groups was uh, interested in stasis, and another one was interested in entropy, and another one was interested in uh, creation. Mike, did you just reinvent the triad? Uh, maybe I, I wasn't intending to, but <laughs> that could be the case. Everything comes back to World of Darkness, doesn't it? Oh my gosh! Yes. All right. So what else do we have? Um, we have Sekum, of course. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, um, I like that it can be gathered in a number of different ways, um, and it doesn't end a mummy's story just a period of time. Um, so, yeah, mummies tend to, to start off really powerful due to the amount of second that's needed to actually make them wake up. Um, and then their power wanes. But there's um, a balancing act that they have to kind of perform because they have the judges that are whispering their decrees into their ears and then the cults that have have awakened them to do their bidding and they can get second from either um obviously the judges have more of it to give so they kind of have to do this balancing act um and so it's kind of a resource management aspect of the game that i kind of that i like how long is a single descent a single incarnation meant to last as long as the story dictates well, i mean it's until much. they run out of <laughs> juice right so yeah yeah you start with a whole ton but how long is that supposed to to last you can do you have a, a descent that lasts a you know a a crazy weekend in vegas and then another one that goes for years and decades or well, I mean, yeah, it, it could be either. They, they did have a story where one of the mummies woke up and strangled the dude. So, you know, I mean, that, that can uh, that happens. And then he fell back asleep. 
That was more of a mummy yeah. mummy snooze alarm, really. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right, right, right. Um, I think usually it's probably like a couple of years. I think that's typically what it is. But it's, again, kind of what the story dictates. Sure. Um, you know, it could just be a weekend. Um, you could have a con game, right? Have it run for four hours. You start at second 10, you get down to one. And maybe like every um, 20 minutes or something, you lose a second. Lose a second. Ooh. Um, that could be a fun way to run it, you know, as uh, they rapidly dwindle in, in power. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a very interesting aspect. And again, you know, very unique compared to the rest of the Chronicles of Darkness games, uh, which just makes it really fun and interesting. So we're kind of running out of time here. We've been talking for a while about uh, Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition, but I really want to highlight what excites each of us the most about this. For me, it's uh, the treatment of necromancy. Um, in many games, necromancy is considered to be taboo and something that you have to fight against. Um, and it's one of my favorite magic paths to work with and play around with. And so I'm excited to see um, that it's not viewed as something as taboo or wrong in this game. It's actually a central part of everything that's in the game. And then another thing that I really like is the smaller guilds and the fallen guilds um, and the history behind them and how they tie into the history of the Nameless Empire and everything like that. That's all stuff that I'm I'm really excited to see more of. Uh, so surprising even to me, my, my favorite aspect is uh, the ease of crossover that Mummy allows. As we mentioned earlier, you know, the God Machine could be an unnamed or replacement or faux judge as one option, um, but uh, it could cross over with Mage, with uh, Irim and Atlantis as contemporaries. Or, again, they might be the same thing, and uh, the the uh, mages are getting their power from some other unnamed judge that we're un unfamiliar with. So, you know, with their imperfect memories, uh, mummies might not know that uh, mages and uh, they are all working toward one goal, just seeing it from different points of view. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, awesome crossover opportunities with this one. I actually kind of realized reading through Mummy of the Curse 2nd Edition that this might actually be the best Chronicles of Darkness game for new players without any knowledge of the setting. Let's say you're at a convention, you're going to be running Mummy. You just hand them a character sheet with tons of dots on it, cool powers. They just woke up, lots of, uh, lots of dots filled in, but their memory is really low, which explains why the powerful characters and, of course, the players representing them don't really have a lot of knowledge of this occult world that they're in. And then, of course, the judges can give them firm directives as they start off, you know, looking for Sekum, these easy plot hooks right off the bat. And it's actually pretty ingenious. Mummy the gateway drug. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really psyched about uh, Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition. Uh, actually, kind of surprisingly, I haven't thought about Mummy the Curse in quite some time. And then picking up the, uh, the little PDFs that they gave, the, uh, the drafts uh, with the Kickstarter, reading through them. There's a lot of good ideas here, and it's kind of like, you know, fun to kind of go back to this setting, which I hadn't explored for a while, and uh, just get reinvigorated by it. See, and Mummy is the um, the line that I'm actually least familiar with in the Chronicles of Darkness. So reading through with Mummy 2nd Edition right away was really awesome. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Why haven't I thought about this? Why haven't I played this game? Yeah, absolutely. 
How about you, Chig? I know you're a bit of a World of Darkness person usually, but uh, I think the question is, would you play Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition? I would play or run Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition. Oh, Ooh. high praise. Whoa. All right. Good. I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed reading through the drafts and uh, you're getting pretty excited about it. I really am. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back that Kickstarter before it ends on the 5th of December. Yep, absolutely. All right. So if that's everything for uh, Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition, I think we'll move on over to the closing segment. We are, of course, Darker Days Radio. You can email us over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. You can visit us and like us over at facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. We have a Twitter account, which has been very lively lately, at darkerdaysradio. We are on Instagram, Tumblr. Uh, we have articles on Tabletop. We have a YouTube channel, which has some videos occasionally, usually by Chris. Uh, we have a Twitch account for streaming videos. We have the Darker Days WordPress, which has a lot of cool stuff and uh, a lot of things dealing with war games, painting, miniatures, and all that. And we also have a super fun Discord, which uh, has a link in the show notes. We'd really like to have you there to talk about gaming, be it RPGs, war games, and all that good stuff. So... Chig, Crystal, thank you very much for coming on this episode, talking about and uh, you know, just getting excited about Mummy of the Curse 2nd Edition, because uh, it's a cool game, and I'm really excited to see its Kickstarter succeed. Yeah, this is a game that we don't want to keep under wraps. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to follow up anything on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think we just got to end the show. And to all the listeners out there, good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.